Tuesday Memo. It's our umpteenth uh, podcast. I think we're up to five or six right now. I'm glad I'm losing count because that means we've done enough. <laughs> it means we must be doing something. We're doing something. <laughs> I'm Eric Fruits. I'm a Portland economist, and I'm here with uh, my co-podcaster, Anne. My name is Ann Sanderson, and I'm a small business owner or businesses owner here in Portland, Oregon. And we're going to talk about some local politics today. And our theme is going to be deja vu all over again. In honor of Yogi Berra, who I guess said that at one time, and now we're going to say it again. A little bit of deja vu all over again. So what's our first topic all well, over again? Well, we're going to talk about homelessness and a very important topic. And we're going to talk about uh, Mayor Charlie Hales, who declared yesterday that he wants a state of emergency on homelessness, which is a pretty noble thing. A state of emergency on homelessness. Now, there's a little bit of deja vu on this, because as I recall, when I first started visiting Portland in the 90s, homelessness was an issue. And I did a little bit of searching around, and I found that in 1998, even Charlie Hales himself thought that homelessness was an, an important enough issue uh, that uh, while he was a commissioner back in uh, 1998, uh, the city instituted sweeps, police sweeps of homeless camps. Right, which they're continuing to do. I mean, the issue goes actually back to the 70s when they started closing down uh, mental health institutions and uh, believing that the communities would absorb them and take care of them but didn't fund the programs. So what makes it an emergency today? Well, homelessness is at a crisis. It is at a crisis. Whether it was then or not doesn't matter. Today, it's a crisis. People are living on the streets in unseen numbers. Here in Portland, the last count was around 2,500, but it feels to those of us living here that the the situation has worsened. But it's worsened across the country, and New York has 60,000 homeless people, um, which they have 57,000 in in shelters, which is a a pretty decent number. Um, So they're attacking the problem as they can. But L.A. has a situation that's out of control as well, and they were the first a couple of days ago to declare a state of emergency on homelessness. So maybe that's what did it? That's what triggered it? L.A. did it, so we have to do it? Right. You think? I think, yeah, I think it caught Charlie's attention, that's for sure. Um, The problem is that L.A. actually put their money where their mouth was and uh, committed also $100 million additional dollars to um, solve the problem in any way that they can, and that's in addition to the $100 million a year that they're already spending. Uh, Charlie Hale's plan didn't include any dollar amounts. It didn't include actually any kind of blueprint for what they wanted to do, other than changing some uh, zoning laws so that they could house homeless people in property owned already by the city and not have to follow zoning and permit processes to um, upgrade them. Right. So that's going to be something that even though it's an emergency, it sounds like when you're talking about real estate development, you're talking about months or a year before any of those things can actually go into effect. I mean, doesn't it sound like it? He's, he's hoping for January. Unfortunately, there's nothing in what he was talking about that shows that he has actual plan. I mean, even if you were able to throw open the doors of a building tomorrow, who's going to run it? Who's going to staff it? Where's the money coming from? There isn't a much of a plan. And I think that his colleagues um, on the council and on the, the county and state level are asking, well, what's his plan? I think we've learned that when you take people, homeless or not, and put them in a place like a a, a school gymnasium with a cot or an empty surplus warehouse with a cot, that that's really not a permanent solution. All those solutions are really designed to be temporary uh, 
things to, to, to get you back on track. I, I feel like this is uh, kind of a weird form of triage that, again, moves the our homeless out of sight and in hopes that, that it just goes away. It, it's no kind of triage just to take people off the streets and not offer them anything else. I mean, the homeless have a variety of, of issues that cause them to be homeless. And and for as many people on the streets, there are as many stories that got them there. And there's as many needs to get them off the streets again. If you are mentally ill and you need services, we need a stronger way to encourage these people to get the services. We have to have the services available and then somehow make the threshold of being a danger to yourself less less difficult because right now families all over the Portland area but all over the country would love to help their family member who is mentally ill but have their hands tied because unless that person is basically trying to commit suicide in front of a, a psychiatrist, you cannot get them the services. You can't force them to get the services. But, you know, sometimes that in the past, in the 70s, that was an issue because people were being hospitalized and forgotten about in horrible, horrible conditions. And, and closing those facilities was probably the right thing at the time, but not offering that other solution, you know, of, of funding community um, outreach and, and housing and beds you know, emergency beds. It just doesn't happen. Then there are the people who, who are on the streets because from a variety of reasons became bankrupt, lost their housing in Portland. That's a big issue because rents are going up so high that people can't afford it. And they need just basically a hand. Let us help you bridge that from being able to afford rents to getting into housing that you can afford again. And let us help you get a job. Let us help you, you know, get those access, those services that may already exist. And then there are the people who are, who are bad actors, who, who are not, they, they are probably have some addiction problems, but also are breaking the law. And if we think that, that they are going to, to react to a hand out of that situation in the same way, someone who is recently, you know, lost their job or someone who's mentally ill, that's not going to be the case. So one size fits all of just putting them in a building isn't enough. And any plan that doesn't come with money and resources is not going to be enough. Well, what do you think about the, I, about in the past year or so, there was a story that was in the Oregonian that said about one out of four, 25% of Portland's homeless are actually new to the area within the past two years. In other words, they've, they've come to the area and within the past two years, I don't know if they came here homeless or if they became homeless, but the idea is, is that about one in four of the homeless in Portland are new to Portland. Does rather- it matter? Does it matter if they got here yesterday or they got here a year ago? They're homeless and they need help. Well, they do, but I think there's there's part there's an element where Oregon has become a magnet. It seems L.A. is a magnet, New York's a magnet, Honolulu's a magnet, Wisconsin is a magnet. Everybody has got homeless now, and nothing is working. Even in Utah, where they do housing first, which has been more effective than anything else that has been tried around the country, it is still not enough. And so, what we are doing culturally, socially, is not enough. So what's happened? In 1998, we have the city council was dealing with this issue when Charlie Hales was a commissioner. In 2004, the city passed a plan. The city council actually passed a plan to end homelessness in 10 years. 
So last year, 2014, was the year that that goal was supposed to be hit. So we're now a year um, after the goal supposedly was supposed to be hit. And things are worse now. What is it a matter of not enough resources, not enough willpower, kind of uh, closing our eyes and hoping it goes away? What's all of the above. All of the above. All of the above. But there's never the resources we need there's to solve the big problems that people really care about. Absolutely. But there's always money. For the, what? For the streetcar. Oh, for the streetcar. <laughs> I only said it for you, Eric. <laughs> there's always money for the streetcar. And it's not because we are one-note Johnnies about the streetcar. It is because... On Tuesday memo, we are, actually, as we're speaking, I think city council is talking about spending more money, not just a little, more money on the Portland streetcar. And it's interesting because this is not money for drivers or for the guy that cleans it out at night or the mechanic that keeps it running. And no new trains. And no new trains. This is $3.3 million um, that will be awarded to the Portland Streetcar Inc., which is the company that kind of runs the streetcar. And it is for basically PR. It is for those kinds of things that sells the streetcars to others. I don't know, Eric. $3.3 million for a PR budget. That's a lot of money. That's I money. wanted to read what, what it is because it's pretty phenomenal. It's, it says the contract... Uh, the intent of the contract, and I'm reading this, is for operating assistance services in the following eight major service areas, leadership and private sector engagement, I don't know what that means, service planning and scenario development, I'll have to look that one up, customer service, I think I know what that is, sponsorship development and marketing, so they're going to spend $3 million to figure out how to get more money. Uh, communications, that means more PR people, right? Right. Annual performance reporting because... They Last need, time they tried to do that, they didn't get the numbers right. They Peabody. fudged them. Yeah. So yes. They need someone to do that. Implementation... I, I, somebody for that would be okay. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Implementation of the TriMet Master Agreement. Implementation. Not... Well, I don't know. And good. and key financial reporting. Again, get those numbers right. Get those numbers right. So $3.3 million and not a single penny of it will go to the rails. Well, and so that's $3.3 million that maybe could go to the homeless along with, and it's not as if we're, you know, just seeking out things that they're spending money on. They come to us. And one of the things that Charlie Hales wants to spend money on this week is $115 million to buy the property under the Portland um, post office, which is just south of downtown. Yeah, I mean, north of downtown. If you've been to Portland, there's this area that's been um, redeveloped since the mid to late 90s called the Pearl District. It's a really nice part of town, and it keeps spreading. Its niceness keeps spreading and spreading and spreading, and now they've kind of hit a barrier because now the nice part of town has hit the ugliness of an old post office building that sits on a massive lot. Uh, it's a big, ugly building with a lot of problems, and... It's so big and so ugly and has so many challenges that a private developer probably couldn't make any money redeveloping it. So that's hard for me to believe in this in this market. Well, if you see what city the city does and the encumbrances that the city puts on properties, it becomes very hard to develop certain properties. But the Pearl developed. The Pearl developed, but uh, but they developed the easy properties first. They developed the properties that had historic tax abatements that were just begging they were they were just money machines but i'm i'm actually seriously asking you this because if if in a, f- 
a market economy, that property eventually, the pressures would be that that would be valuable enough, right, for someone to develop it. It's on the edge of a nice area. It's next to the river, isn't it, or close by? It's close enough. Mm, close enough. So so why wouldn't the market just come up and kind of take care of that on itself and we could use $115 million to house the homeless? Or we could justify it by saying that's where we'll put some housing for the homeless. Oh. Or as you know, we talked about last week, we talked about how there were three sequoias down in the East Moreland area that were going to be cut down by a developer and there were protesters who wanted to save those trees and they were using a couple of different ways to do that, to, uh, to protest it and save them. And they were successful in the end. One of our things that we asked um, that we suggested is someone reach out to the developer and make it easy for him to get out of that. And, and someone from South Park did that. Well, that's right. South Park, the, the cartoon show. And I don't even think he lives in Portland. I'm not sure about it's that. It's one of the creators of South Park. He came in and, I guess, offered some money. And the solution was they're in the process now of buying those lots from the developer. They are going to split the lots in two. One lot is going to get developed. Uh, the, the part that doesn't have the trees will be developed with some, I guess, expensive homes. And then the other lot that has the trees will be left as some sort of uh, open space. Well, public access. Yes. Public access. Yeah. And it's a good solution. Um, apparently, they were listening to our podcast. This happened after we had recorded. And it was kind of negotiated with the mayor's office. They kind of reached out. So I think it was a good solution in the end. And... Uh, and, you know, protests here, we've talked about it in terms of Greenpeace in the past as well, that there are all kinds of protests, but the, the fact that people feel the need that they need to protest so many things, it just feels like a cry for, for action from our government. Well, I think the other problem, too, with this tree thing is, although it was a, a good solution and I think kind of a neat market-based solution, pretty soon, you know, you're going to run out of money, it seems, to do those sorts of solutions you know you could do this once because now it's a novelty but can you imagine having to have people maybe a hundred times a year try to buy properties to stop the trees from getting cut down it seems like we, maybe we need more of a comprehensive a comprehensive plan <laughs> to, to deal with you know to deal with i mean there are some challenges i mean i think we need to face the facts that we live in a world where we have people coming into Portland, which means we need to build more housing. We need greater density because we're not allowed to build spread out. And you got to do that. And you still want to keep the trees. And maybe you can't have all of it. Or maybe we can think about it more creatively because it, I agree that we need more housing. Obviously, rents are going up and, and uh, houses are on and off the market in record time now. And uh, there are a lot of changes that are very, it, it's very difficult for people who've lived here for a very long time, if not all their lives, to see the changes become so rapidly. But that's what leadership's about. Why can't people build houses with the trees going through them? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's places all over. I mean, that you you drive on. I remember there's a place in Indiana that one of the courthouses in in a Eric, town in Indiana Eric, has a tree growing through the it. The sequoias are 27 feet around. I don't think you can put that into the middle of a house. But I went to Disneyland and they had the Swiss Family Robinson tree. Couldn't we live in tree houses? 
Eric, we're going to ask for better leadership, and I don't think those are going to be part of the solutions so they offer. I'm not however, the better leader. However cute they are of, of living in, in the trees, which, you know, maybe if it weren't for city regulations, there would be some people who would like to live Mark in the trees. Mark this down. I guarantee in five years there will be people living in trees. Okay, we're writing it down. Write it down. I bet you it'll happen. But the trees will stay. The solution was found. And uh, I think everyone went away happy. But now there's an update, right? Because the the mayor is now proposing his new plan on dealing with cutting down trees and redevelopment. And that's his new developer tax, right? The $25,000 to if you want to tear down a house. Plus an extra $250 fine for each year. For each age, age of year, year of age of the house. Of the house, right. So I, I don't think that the solution is, is nuanced enough because there are plenty of houses that have fallen in disrepair that are an eyesore or a blight to the neighborhood. And those houses should be demolished and new housing constructed on it. Is it appropriate for every house? No. Is it appropriate for most of the houses coming down now? Probably not, although if we believe in the urban growth boundary and density, we have to make room for more housing on less property. I think it has to do with how it's being done, what those houses look like, and the fact that nobody can af- who lives here now can afford them. And I and like I said, it's more nuanced than just slapping on a tax, which will be passed to the final consumer. They will not be absorbed by the builder. Yeah, and I think that's one of these kind of fantasies that our politicians have is that somehow or another the developer is going to say, oh, gee, that money's coming out of my back pocket. And, uh, well, you know, I guess I just won't make as much money on this one. No, a lot of that will get passed on to the consumers. So in some weird way, we're making housing more affordable by making it more expensive. Right. So the solution isn't going to be that. And we need to come up with, I, I think, more, like I said, nuanced solutions in many areas, whether it's the housing or the homeless, which go sort of hand in hand, or um, the way we run our government. So that segued us into the fact that the they finally got the, we talked about this before, how there's a group of East Portlanders who want to radically change the way our city government is structured in order to have in their, in their argument, a fairer way to be represented in the city of Portland. Right. And this new plan would, this now would expand city council from five to nine, five to nine. I don't think they would be called commissioners anymore. They'd be counselors. Because they they won't have the executive or bureaucratic duties that they have now. Right. And and the biggest change would be that they would be elected by districts so that they would, that each area of the city would get its own, um, to vote on its own council member. With two at large. With two at large, including the mayor. Including the mayor. Uh, so they are, they've got, they finally got approved. It's been a lot of. Iterations. I think they're up to like their sixth or seventh or eighth right. iteration. They and finally got a 
ballot title. You've got to hand it to them for their perseverance. I think it's great. That's that's being in, involved in your city government and your and your politics in the in the raw out there. And uh, they have now until July eighth of next year to collect signatures, and they need third oh just under thirty two thousand signatures citywide to get this on the ballot. I say they can do it. Thirty two signatures in 32, about nine 000. months. Mm-hmm. Thirty two thousand in nine months. Yeah, I think they'll do it. I uh, think they'll do it, and it'll be a question. Three to four thousand a month. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. All right. <laughs> That's it. Well, you could do it like the the old Breck commercials, right? You tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and so on and so on. And you know, the thing is, too, is you can always sign the petition. It doesn't mean that you're in favor of it. You can always vote it down. It, so at least think about it. The great thing about ballot measures is they let us talk about the issues, and whether you end up voting for it or not. You know, you get to discuss: is that important? Is that a good change? What do we What do we need changed? Maybe next time, if this doesn't succeed, what do we do next time? So, I I love when citizens get involved in politics. We've done it ourselves, and I think that it's a. I, I encourage anyone. Well, I think there is some importance with that initiative process because it really does get the conversation started. And yes, there's a lot of dopia initiatives out there, and a lot of them die before they even see the light of day. But it's really kind of cool to at least get that that conversation started and and start thinking about what are the priorities. And also I think the initiative process disciplines our our elected officials that uh, with the threat of a referendum or an initiative, they might craft their own legislation to be better. Yes. The people as the, as the challengers. I think that's terrific. Yeah. I think that's fantastic too. And that's probably a good way to end our show on something fantastic and positive and positive. Good. See you next week. Bye.